0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Blonder Tongue Audio Baton by
1: Swirlies. And that just like hits my sweet spot. Like I just, I really like that.
0: I didn't feel like there's any dramatic left turns on this record or anything.
1: If you're going to get any sort of energy out of what's going on, then something's going wrong. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak, Jay. Yeah. I am I am broadcasting from my new location deep underground in my bunker. Uh got my rations and my various uh end of the world you know uh, wind up static electric radios and generators and I'm prepared, Jay. Good.
0: Got a lot of canned vegetables?
1: Yes. Lots of canned beets. Beats of the Food of the Future, Jay. I don't know if you knew that. They never, go,
0: they never go bad, do they?
1: Nope. Don't go bad. Uh, but people are not here to worry about my uh, end-of-the-world prepping. They're here to check out an album that we're going to talk about. This time it's one that's been suggested to us by a frequent contributor, one-time guest, and friend of the show – Mr. David Dirty Gert Gorgos. He uh he gave us three selections. We gave him a fourth one free, and now he's back with another one. His fourth paid selection of the year.
0: Requested, Requested review.
1: Winning MVP honors so far for the 2013 season. Previously, Jay, we covered some very unusual albums that we were not familiar with: Space Needle, Radio Spangle, Sports Guitar. Then we hit Eric's trip, and we both kind of found some things we liked about Eric's trip. And this week, he's back with an album by The Swirlies. It's called Blonder Tongue Audio Baton. Now, Jay, were you familiar with The Swirlies before Mr. Gorgos laid this upon us? Uh, No, I wasn't. Neither was I. So that's a good starting point to introducing this band to everyone who is not familiar with it, just like us. And talking about a little bit of the history of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: So, the Swirlies formed in Boston, Massachusetts in 1990. They went through some lineup changes at first, but the uh, core lineup was Damon, I'm going to screw up his last name, Tuttenjinaine? Tuttenjina, I don't know. T U T U N I J O. A-N.
0: Is he an Egyptian pharaoh?
1: Yes. Guitar and vocals. Um, Sienna, S-E-A-N-A. Geez, why can't people have normal names? Carmendy on guitar and vocals, Andy Bernick on bass guitar and radio, and Ben Drucker on drums. Now, for this particular album, Ben Drucker only played on three songs. Kevin March of the Dam Builders played on two songs. Mark Rivers of the Cave Dogs played on... Three songs, so they had some uh, some turmoil on the drum kit. Some change mm-hmm. was going on. Uh, the band released four albums on Tang Records. Their first album is the one we mentioned, "Blonder Tongue Audio Baton." Uh, they released an EP the year before called "What to Do About Them." Com- uh, it was a compilation EP. They. Sp- uh, released an album in 96 called they spent their wild youthful days in the glittering world of the salons in 1998 they released strictly east coast sneaky flute music and then they've released albums under different names and on other labels there's Damon Andy Robin Ron the Yes Girls LP was released on their own album Sneaky Flute Empire in 2000 Cats of the Wild Vol- Cats of the Wild Volume 2 was released on Bubblecore Records Swirly's Magic Strop, Magic Strop, at the Salon of WBCN was released on Sneaky Flute Empire in 2005 as an MP3 download. Uh, another MP3 download uh, from the same year from was a uh, Winsom Zamula's Hammer of Contimuli. No, sorry, winsome Zamula's Hammer of Continually. I don't. I don't. That's not even a word. That's not a real word. They just made that up. And then in 2009, Gavin's March to the Sea on Sneaky Flute Empire. Again, an mp3 download. So in terms of original new material, this band has been putting out things regularly. Um, as I mentioned, under different names sometimes, but primarily the lineup that we're going to be talking about. If you want to suggest an album like uh, David did, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com. Hit our request review page, and uh, you can find out how to request a review. And, of course, we got some Facebook Facebook feedback, and, of course, Mr. Gorgos chimed in. He said, the greatest American shoegaze record, and they are still performing live. Brian Freshour of a band that we might bring up at some point during this uh, review called Tiara, he said, one of my favorite all-times... And then Austin J. Hall chimed in. This was a pretty awesome album. Even though at first it seemed completely random in structure and execution, repeated repeated listens bring out the logic in the swirlies. So, J., we have have three glowing reviews from David, Bryan, and Austin. This has been called the American My Bloody Valentine, who are considered one of the uh, pioneers of alternative music in the 90s, influencing dozens of band, sort of the velvet underground of the alternative music in that they didn't sell a lot of records, but the, everybody who bought the record got influenced and started a band, or so the legend goes. So, the Swirlies, are you singing their praises like David, Bryan, and Austin, or are you uh, are you not down with the blonder uh, blonder tongue audio baton?
0: Hmm. I feel like... This review is going to be a little bit of a like hitting a replay. There's a lot of things here that I feel like I've we've kind of gone over before with some other bands. In terms of at least for myself, when it works and when it doesn't work, you know, I think I'm a little bit in the I'm a little bit in between the the, uh, the comment you read about. It feels completely random at first, and then through repeated listens, it somehow starts to make sense and. Have an order. Um, I don't know that I felt like if I didn't feel like it was completely random, mm-hmm. but I never felt like I really got to the point where it totally made sense. So uh, I think why I didn't, I, I think it, you know, it's fairly cohesive in terms of, um, you know, the overall approach on the record, the instrumentation, um, the techniques that they kind of use with noise and tons and t- tons of pitch bending um you know the vocal approach um you know there's some tempos that go up and down but for the most part you know i think the majority of the material is kind of in the same you know ballpark in terms of that Mm -hmm. so all that kind of felt fairly cohesive there's no i didn't feel like there's any dramatic left turns on this record or anything um but within that within that um within that context there's uh i guess some shifts in terms of um how loud it gets and how noisy it gets. And then there's also some shifts where sort of the vocals, you know, they have two singers here, which I think we've, seems like we've done a a ton of records now that have two singers for some reason. Well, I have especially one uh, male, one female vocal. Mm -hmm. So there's some shifting going around between sort of vocal duties and, um, and volume. But other than that, I mean, it feels to me like, the most part the formula is pretty consistent in how they rate songs Um, I like the stuff like track well I'm not going to talk about track one because it's just noise track two um, you know I I love that so it's it's fairly loud it's got a lot of shifting and sliding in terms of the timing of the song like it Mm -hmm. does some pretty cool like it, it feels like it's like slowing down and part of that's the pitch, the way that they're bending and changing the pitch of the chords and stuff. But then there's also some deliberate, you know, shifts in the drumming, um, going from double time to half time. There's a lot of tension in that song. Um, You know, the chorus kind of has like a shuffle or almost like a marching band kind of feel to it. So it's got a lot of different variety into it, in it that I like. You know, overall, the guitars are kind of a, they almost sound like they're boat instruments, like violinish or something with the the amount of effects on are on it and then the, the way that they're kind of sliding into the notes and stuff. So, uh, you know, the the, mi- the the overall mix of what's going on on that song, I, I really like a lot. But then it kind of goes into this, the next three tracks are kind of a, I don't know, mid-tempo-y, slow, cleaner. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me as much. I found my, you know, I I frankly just kind of get bored. Um, You know, track two, there are some elements to it that are kind of, they're kind of proggy. It does get loud in the, in the chorus, but there's no vocal, which is kind of weird. And, uh, but there's a lot of, you know, there's some shifts and turns, I guess, and some elements of it and structures that are almost prog like to me. And then there's a couple songs after that that are kind of slower, kind of noisy, And then things pick up again in the middle of the record with Pancake. Severely noisy, and the female vocal really—I think it's the first time on the record where you really notice it, like kind of by itself and leading leading the song. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's another that's another combination of of of, of uh, sounds that works really well for me. So, really, really noisy guitars, this sort of you know high pitched female vocal that really separates itself and sounds really delicate underneath, kind of this just chaos. They mix in some organ and keyboards in that. They kind of do the, these little interludes with those that are kind of cool, and so I dig that. But then, um, then they kind of shift back down again. Um, you know, uh, Jeremy Parker, the song after that's kind of fairly shoegazy-ish, and the, the three songs uh, after Pancake sort of they kind of remind me of Swerve Driver. Uh-huh. A little bit. In fact, track eight, it almost sounds like if you took the swerve driver song and kinda of sped it up. It's got all the like, you know, tremolo stuff going on and but it's like faster than a swerve driver would play a song. Um which is it's kinda of comical when you when you actually think of it that way when you're listening to it. And then uh you get the wrong, wrong tube, which I, again I think is another for me a highlight on the record where kind of a chunky kind of riff, but then there's a, always like a weird like, lead, there's like a weird lead guitar over top of it that ends up doing kind of a almost a guitar solo, but like tons of like tremolo bends and just crazy pitchy stuff. So, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. I, I tend to prefer, you know, this when this band gets louder, it works better for me. I think I just find it more interesting. It, it, frankly, it just grabs my attention. Um, but I feel like I feel a little bit like heard this record before I, you know what i mean I, other than the the weird the extremely uh strange either tuning or like pitch bending technique that they're doing on the guitar all the time to make things sound like they're just you know constantly moving and never quite in tune i mean that's probably the most unique thing about it that maybe I, w- I would say that one of the things that definitely stood out for me that maybe separates it from some of the others, other bands that I think you've mentioned prior to this, that, uh, dirty girl is recommended that separates this band is that the drumming is really good Mm -hmm. and it's really solid. It's nice and loud. It's interesting. Um, some of the other records, I think the drumming was kind of sub bar and distant and kind of all over the place. And I will say the fact that the drums are present from almost every song on here and a, you know a very recognizable way definitely helps connect the sort of the head trip that you're going on listening to the weird sort of off-key you know tension that's going on with the, the chords the 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 solid drumming and rhythm section kind of anchors it to so mm-hmm. you kind of like feel it but then also think about it which is kind of neat so I'll give them that. I think they separate a little bit rhythmically, but for the most part, I don't know. I found a lot of a lot of this record to be kind of meh. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Well, I thought you brought up some some good points. I'm a sucker for that overly distorted and then the big tremolo bend that they do, which mm-hmm. is a trademark of all shoegaze. You know, it's something that My Bloody Valentine has, probably has a trademark on, or a patent or something, and I mentioned um, uh, T.R. because of Brian Freshour chiming in. And that was something I remember them doing a ton of in the in the earlier albums, and you know, listening to uh, you know various other so-called uh, shoegaze bands, whether it's Swerve Driver or Chapter House or Ride, you know, those bands they all have that. Big guitar sound, but in a you know that wall of sound sort of way, and that just like hits my sweet spot. Like I just I really like that, and the fact that their vocal is I'm gonna be a little I'm gonna commit a little blasphemy here, but I actually like the vocal better here than on My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, because it's actually more defined and I can actually hear more of what's going on whereas on that record it's so washed out and so just another instrument that it's the vocal becomes almost irrelevant. Whereas okay. here you can really hear, I mean this is a really good sounding record for being a shoegaze record made in what was it 1992 mm-hmm. or 1993. I mean, there was the potential for this to be just a wash with noise and not being able to hear anything at that time, especially with that Mm. post tin can, you know, British production of like early blur and Catherine wheel and suede and those records that have like no low end and lots of distortion. And this, this album really kind of, it works for me. Uh, Especially after repeated listens, it works much better as a record than trying to divide it up into songs. I'll say that. There are a couple songs that I would definitely ditch. You know, the opening track, whatever, it's just the intro. It's twelve seconds to the first song. Um track five, His Life of Academic Freedom. It's just kind of a noise track. I understand that they're playing with the radio and they're getting some you know, atmospheric stuff going on there. That's fine, but I would ditch that and I would also ditch track eleven, which is sort of like noise and loops and had to half two halves of a song and then there's some talking at the end and
0: so the talking's just, kind of funny, but it doesn't yeah, need to be there. <laughs> it doesn't need to be
1: there. But I, I really feel like you take away that you have a really strong like 8 or 9 songs that I wouldn't I really wouldn't dump any of them. The only one that I'm not a huge uh, I'm not a fan of when they go to the totally clean guitar for the whole song. I like it when they use it as a dynamic. When they, you know, start out with it and then get heavy or get heavy and then drop down to the clean guitar. That's a cool dynamic. But sticking with it for a majority of the song, it just kind of gets a little dull because there's not much to the sound after a while. Yeah. Um, in terms of the rhythm section, I think this is you mentioned Swerve Driver and I you know, looking listening back to Mezical Head. Excellent, excellent rhythm section in that band. And yeah. you're right, this band is in that same vein. You know, I would have loved to have heard a, a little more attitude, that, like what Swerve Driver brings, um, and it, just a tiny bit more pop sensibility. Mm-hmm. But, man, they're really close to it. Um, and they do a really good job of bringing in, like I guess you'd say the dream pop element. I guess that's where they're kind of going on some of these songs where it's, it's not just even shoegaze, it's even dreamier and more... Uh, atmospheric than shoegaze because I kind of think of sho- shoegaze as more pummeling and the dream pop heading into you know territory of like what are some good examples of some bands Elbow I guess hmm. well I guess the relevant ones would be like some of the Verve stuff and and Ride but like when they sort of like find that groove and just sort of ride that groove but without having to necessarily back it up with a ton of oomph in the guitar and they could sort of like ride it a little bit more quietly. Um, I guess Cocteau Twins would be another example off the top of my head. But yeah, I I dig this. And actually I think out of David's now five picks for the year, I think this one jumps ahead of Eric's trip in terms of my overall appreciation. Because I think I liked half that record and really disliked half that record. Um, Whereas this record... I'm I'm much more in tune with what's going on throughout this, and um, like I said, you you wail on that tremolo and get those cool dissonant you know bends, and it's just it's nice that 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 ever happened because it really shows how expansive the guitar is in terms of you know people think well there's only six strings and it's so many notes and everything's been done. And then all of a sudden somebody just bends the tremolo bar and you've got a completely different sound and it makes a huge difference. So I was excited to hear this. I don't, I don't know that I can put it. I think there are things that they do better than, like I said, the vocal than my blade Valentine. Um, I haven't heard enough American shoegaze to be able to call this the greatest American shoegaze record, but I'm going to go based on David's vast knowledge that, and, Go ahead and agree with that. But um, if anybody would like to uh, disagree, feel free to chime in.
0: I don't know. I felt like there were some songs on here that weren't very shoegaze. They're there definitely like probably half of them are, but then there's another half where you're like, ah, eh, I mean, it's just kind of like low, lo-fi pop or How do you, however you refer to it, dream pop or, you know, just alternative, almost alternative prog stuff. Like, like it's not like tree chopped tree chopped down like it's not really shoegaze at all it's kind of a i don't even know how to describe that song there's a lot going on there it's um kind of fast and um it almost has like a super chunk kind of feel but in a really kind of messed up way So I don't know. I guess I'm not, I'm not an expert on shoegaze, but it's hard for me to kind of, at least on, a lot of, on half of these songs are in that ballpark, I don't necessarily think of them as shoegaze songs.
1: I think it's a hard, you know, when, when you look, when you sort of like review like all music, they talk about, you know, obvious shoegaze bands would be My Bloody Valentine and Ride. And then they mentioned Catherine Wheel. And I don't think past the first album, Catherine Wheel really a shoegaze band. I think they're much more of just a straight up rock band. Right. Um, or they well, might.
0: Like a, I was going to say the, the the songs that are shoegaze, not only are they, for me on this record, tend to be the heavier ish ones, but they also use less chords. So right. on, on some of these songs where they, it's really noisy and really dissonant, they're playing like two chords. Sometimes they're playing one. You know, and the songs where it's cleaner and there's more going on they're playing a lot more chords, you know? And it's just like, it's almost like a shoegaze thing, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole point of that is just like long sustained chords and lots of noise and everything starts to blend together. And you're really like, instead of doing a ton of stuff with chord changes, you're doing things with, you know, layering and effects and kind of creating a bed of sound. And sometimes they do that Sometimes they do that, but other times they they don't do that. They kind of do the opposite of that. So,
1: mm-hmm. well, I think this is there needs to be a open discussion, hopefully on our Facebook page, about trying to better define what shoegaze is in terms of you know. To me, it's always there is a tempo aspect to it that it doesn't get too fast. Yeah, and I feel like some of the bands that get mentioned clearly violate that fast to mid that mid tempo or above uh sort of sound yeah because to me you should never be able to like jump up and down to a shoegaze song it should always be a sway it should always be kind of a sway back
0: standing still and looking at your shoes
1: right (laughs) if you're gonna get any sort of energy out of what's going on then something's going wrong yeah There should be no dancing and no jumping, no pogo, nothing. Especially from the audience. It should just be head nodding, swaying, possibly on some illicit drugs. Uh, But then a band like Spiritualized gets mentioned as a shoegaze band. and I never thought of them as really... I always thought of Space Rock when I thought of... uh, Yeah. But I guess they have an element of shoegaze. It's all very confusing, Jay. Very confusing.
0: It all requires drugs to understand.
1: Yes. That is true. So, Jay, in your estimation of this record, would you rule it a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single?
0: You know, I I could be objective about this and say I I could see it being a worthy album in a lot of people's eyes. I, I get that. Um, When I pay attention to it and really listen, I I totally understand it. The problem is for me is I have to be honest that, you know, repeatedly listening to this and and sort of getting ready to review this record, there would be spans of the record where I would just completely tune out and parts of the record where I would start listening again. So, you know, I, I can't ignore that and say, you know, for me, it's a full full record just because, you know, I, it 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 wasn't always grabbing me. Um, so, and to me, you know, music is supposed to, it, it should work on two levels. It should be kind of grab you by the chest, and it should also be grabbing grabbing you by the head. And sometimes it did one or the other, but didn't do both. So, I, I think I'm a comfortable more ADP. I think I could pick probably four or five songs off here, um, and uh, and enjoy them, but to get through the whole record for me and stay, stay, you know, listen to it and pay attention would be pretty, pretty unrealistic.
1: I'm actually going to go with a full album. Uh, like I mentioned, there's really only a, the two sort of nonsense tracks, which I think David up front said, you guys are not going to like those two tracks. And he was right. But <laughs> you cut that down to nine songs. I think this is a really solid nine songs. Not everything... In each song works for me, but overall, it I, I would say eight of those nine are what I want to hear from a quote unquote true gaze band. So, uh, the batting average is going up for Dirty Gert. He's uh, he's now at uh, what he's got two out of five, so he's batting, uh, what is it four hundred J.
0: Oh, gee, I, I don't know. We're horrible. At math. He's
1: in. He's in Ted Williams territory. He's. Uh, he's heading towards the Hall of Fame now in baseball, not in any other sport that actually matters. If you, <laughs> if you, if you had a, if you had a 400 passing average in the NFL, you'd be uh, relegated to the third string pretty quickly.
0: I, I have a theory that uh, because baseball is refusing to pretty much keep up with culture in any meaningful way that it's basically be kind of going the way of like badminton or some sort of like backyard sport that Bocci. that and you know 30 years that you know won't even be be um you know a national sort of uh, interest
1: lawn yards. sort of yeah
0: it would be sort of like that uh cuz they're so worried about holding on to their precious uh traditions and not really paying attention to what people will actually want to watch in terms of entertainment. It seems like it's going that way.
1: I'm not going to disagree with you on that.
0: <laughs> this is coming from two people who used to like baseball.
1: Now, now I used to like it, played it constantly yeah. In, yeah. in little league, in grade school, in high school. We went to opening day at tiger stadium. The last year it was open uh, the the old Tiger Stadium when I was at school when I was in college drove up from Bowling Green to Detroit drove up drove to Indians games went to interned for a AAA baseball team like I'm not anti I'm I'm I was a dieharder for a long time and uh, it broke me I'll tell you what broke me 1995 broke me you know what Nine happened times. in 1995 that was the year the Indians were heading towards the World Series and there was a strike.
0: Remember that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, that the year that they lost, the Indians lost the World Series to the Marlins. The Marlins.
1: Yeah, the Jose Mesa. Yeah.
0: Ooh, that was the beginning of the end for me. And then. And then honestly, this, like I said, it's really down to the sport. You know, it's just in every way that it's conceived in terms of how it's played on the field and the pacing of it and the silly rules and the <laughs> like, and, and, and more importantly, how the league is constructed. Mm-hmm. There's nothing appealing about it. So,
1: well, that's our weekly baseball bashing roundup. <laughs> please join us again next week. And uh, please consider stopping by our iTunes leaving us some positive feedback Unless you are a baseball fan. You probably won't leave us any positive feedback. And uh, of course you can hit digmeoutpodcast.com for all of our daily updates. Our Monday flashback. Our Tuesday new episode. Our Wednesday video flashback. Our Thursday new releases and Friday previews. Every day is a special day at digmeoutpodcast.com So for Jay... I'm Tim, and uh, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.